Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. In the opening lyrics of my show open there, you hear a caterpillar to a butterfly. I think that's ludicrous. But yeah, so a lot of people have started seeing caterpillars, which is a sure sign of spring. Hey, welcome to the show. Eight minutes after six o'clock. And by the way, tomorrow is the first day of spring, so be ready for that. It's going to hit us at 11.33 a.m. That is the spring equinox. So, happy last day of winter. I think we're about ready to say goodbye, but it was generally warmer than an average winter. So, I wanted to start off by kind of recapping some things for you and talking about last weekend's hard freeze, right? Meteorologist Christina Edwards explained to us last Saturday that a hard freeze that we experienced Saturday night into Sunday is when the temperature hovers around 28 degrees for a number of hours, which it did just that. And it even got below freezing Friday night in some places as well. So many of you scrambling around to cover your plants. And so what are we seeing now? I would like to know. I would like to know. It's been a week. What damage are you seeing to any of your beloved plants in the landscape, feel free to call 404-872-0750. And I don't know what the cold snap would have done to those caterpillars, but people were anxiously taking and posting pictures all over social media um, of different caterpillars and things emerging. So one of the things, the the after effects of the hard freeze that I noticed, uh, the American Hydrangea Society posting up something a couple of days ago of a very sad, brown, crinkled-looking little mop head, a macrophylla hydrangea, and said, yeah, ours kind of look like this. Maybe yours does too. But even though they were covered, it was still affected, a mop head hydrangea. So the American Hydrangea Society, based here in Atlanta, uh, recommends leaving them untouched, though, and waiting until they're more fully leafed out, then prune out the dead spots. The plant is not necessarily dead, just parts of it. Many of your blooms are likely damaged, so we may see that. We may see a few less blooms than what we're accustomed to on some of our favorite trees. And also, um, Norm Mitleider, who has joined me on the show, a certified aesthetic pruner, and we talk about Japanese maples quite often, He's noticed that in his landscaping jobs as well. Ah, oh, the macrophylla hydrangeas really got nailed, he said. So we're going to be doing good to see the blooms that we want on some of those plants. Um, and he sent me a, a note, a very interesting note, about one particular type of Japanese maple, Katsura, usually one of the first ones to leaf out in the spring. And he took this beautiful picture of vibrant yellow leaves on this particular Japanese maple the day before the hard freeze. Fingers crossed, right? So sure enough, pictures taken of just a few days ago, a lot of the new leaves 
are now brown and crunchy, especially kind of towards the center of the tree. And he said, fortunately, not a total disaster. There is some hope for a normal leaf canopy. You know, a lot of things did start leafing out early, which I'll get to in just a moment. It has to do with the weather. And a former meteorologist, Kirk Mellish, has some notes on that. But things leafing out early were more susceptible to that hard freeze last weekend. But uh, a lot of things still do have time to recover. And they're, of course, going to be continuously putting out new leaves and new growth. Uh, but Norm said, particularly, for, Ashley, for your listeners who may have Japanese maples, here's something that may help a little bit. Uh, recommending a light fertilization with something like Hollytone. The numbers are really low, like a 434. Something like Hollytone. Now, only for Japanese maples that were severely burned by the freeze. So if you have a Japanese maple that looks like at least half of it was damaged, a small boost of a fertilizer may help. But don't fertilize if not damaged. Not yet. We don't want to start the process too early. So if maybe only a fourth of the leaves or 30% of the leaves were damaged, go ahead and leave it alone. But that that boost of holly tone, something low in, in all of the ingredients of the fertilizer, may be okay, may be actually helpful for a Japanese maple that was greater than... 50% damaged by the freeze. So, as I mentioned, um, Christina Edwards and Kirk Mellish are both still blogging like crazy folks on WSBRadio.com. When you click on the weather tab, you can see the blogs from both of them. Um, and Kirk turned my attention to his one particular blog about spring freeze trends. So, how that's going to look, you know, we say really don't plant until tax day. Usually we say Easter. Um, but that is just before tax day this year, so a good rule of thumb would be April 15th, just to make sure there's no chance of a late freeze. I think in recent years, we did have a freeze as late as April 22nd, so that is certainly late. You can go to georgiaweather.net and kind of look at the average for your part of the state as to when the average last freeze is. Um, but so Kirk talking about spring, what it's been like. Uh, the winter as a whole, as I mentioned, Atlanta temperatures were warmer than normal. Rainfall was near normal. So he says December was crazy warm, way above normal. You remember it was almost 70 degrees on Christmas Day. January, a little colder than normal. And February was a little warmer than normal. So we're on this this cycle. So this is interesting. If you go to Kirk's blog, again, on WSBRadio.com under weather, um, he shows a lot of different maps, and you can, you know, garner a lot of information from those. So there's this almost cloud of orange-red, this streak across the southeast, and, and that includes North Georgia. So he says where you see that in this model, the risk has risen for a spring freeze because spring freezes can still readily occur, but growing degree days, which, you know, warmth for plants when the temperature continues to steadily grow— that's now accumulating more rapidly than they used to prior to the last freeze compared to the past. So when we look at models over, you know, some from the 50s to the 90s versus now the 2000s, it is starting to warm up earlier. And this is disruptive to normal behavior of plants, animals, birds, insects. An early shift in spring, Kirk says, can mean a longer experience with pollen. So you guys get the garden hoses ready for those cars. And insects like mosquitoes are going to appear earlier in the year. All of you are going to start calling the show with some insect damage and concerns a little earlier than maybe would typically be. And it also can mess with the birds' migratory patterns, so something to keep in mind. But, you know, Kirk asks, and when do you consider when spring has begun? I mean, it got so warm so soon. 
things start leafing out. Maybe you see crocus when the daffodils start to appear. So the first leaf and first bloom indices are synthetic measures of early season events in plants based on recent temperature conditions. Models like that are what Christina and Brad Nitz and Kirk Mellish are looking at to track the progression of spring and the onset across the entire country. So it does look like we're going to be enjoying an early spring, you know, as, as well as I do, that even though it's tomorrow, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to feel it right away. But in this case, we might. Um, and in talking, too, about that hard freeze last weekend and how that threw so many people off, um, I spent the day on Thursday with turf grass specialist Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia. I was invited down to the Griffin campus of UGA and spent the day with those fine folks in the College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences. And he wrote something where he took folks' concerns and kind of put it out in an article for everybody. Things people do to protect their grasses, which I hadn't really thought of. You know, we were telling you scramble, run around and cover your plants, move your pots inside, things like that. But I'd never really thought about uh, covering your grass and just trying to hold the green color in fescue. Fescue is tolerant to cold weather, so that shouldn't have been an issue. Um, So using, he says, plastic or any other fabric may not keep the grass from freezing. Plastic can at least hold enough heat to allow soil temperatures three to four degrees higher than the ambient temperature, but it's not really going to make a difference. Um, And then he says people think of icing their grass To keep it from freezing, that's not uncommon with late-season freezes like this one. He says, in general, that's a bad idea. So I guess going out and hosing your lawn and waiting for it to freeze? So he said, that's a bad idea. For that practice to work, in theory, a water must be continually freezing and meaning the irrigation system. It can't stop running until the air temperature gets above 32 degrees. So that's not really practical for anybody. Uh, Turf grasses are hardy plants that can withstand more stress than given credit for, and the grass species grown in Georgia can handle periodic freeze events. So for any of you that had concerns about your turf, I think you're okay. I think it's going to be okay. But yeah, certainly call with your observations, kind of what you're noticing, 404-872-0750, whether it is a Japanese maple, a concern about a hydrangea. And even Walter Reeves just saying, you know, give it some time. Just if you do see freeze damage... Uh, Give the plant some time. Don't be really quick to go out and prune something uh, because it may bounce back. And I actually had a question from a listener as well on the Facebook page, and she sent me pictures of this cute little purple plant. I don't even know what it was, but I kind of didn't need to know exactly just based on her question. Uh, She said, "My, my friend has a plant just like this, and it's looking really wilted and all of that because of the cold weather. Is it done? Should she get rid of it? And my answer was no, no, absolutely not, because what we had found was when the weather gets cold, you you really need to make sure to irrigate everything before a freeze. Uh, the, the plants need that water to really help sustain themselves when the weather gets cold. But yeah, so that was it. Deanna said, does she need to clip off the stems and the flowers and the leaves that wilted on this plant? And I said no, because what plants do is they'll wilt in the cold to protect themselves, but they often bounce back. Now, if they don't, something like pansies even, you see them a little droopy after cold. If the stems don't bounce back and they do start to brown and die, then yes, they're they're of no benefit to the plant. So in that case, cut them out. But, you know, by now it's been a week, so things should have fully recovered if they're going to. 404 
872-0750. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it's still early, right? I haven't made it through my first cup of coffee. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and starting to take your calls right here on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz was in for Christina the last few days. The forecast for today brought to you by Finley Roofing. Partly cloudy today, a high of 63. A couple of wind gusts, 10 to 20 miles an hour. Nothing as crazy as yesterday. Sunny skies tomorrow, a high of 66. And then uh, warms up into the 70s come Monday. Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. I like this one. I like this one. So the city of Roswell had some great suggestions online about using yard waste in your landscape. So hear me out. Limbs and branches you can use as bed borders. Chipping tree and shrub prunings into mulch if you have a chipper. Uh, Placing brush piles so they can become wildlife habitat. And of course, composting. Number two, divide and transplant perennials. A lot of you ask when the time to do that is. Uh, Hostas are going to start peeking up from the ground and other things. So when you see those things poking through the soil, it's easy to dig up the clumps, divide them, share them, move them, do whatever you need to do. And number three, fertilize tall fescue during its season of rapid growth, which is typically from fall to early spring. So just remember with fescue, apply fertilizer three times, September, early November, and now you can use any brand of turf fertilizer at the rate recommended on the bag. So we just did that ourselves uh, along with the pre-emergence a couple weeks ago, and that should be good. 404-872-0750. Up first, Jay calling from downtown. Hey, Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you today? Great. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for answering my call. Always loved your show. First Thank time you. caller. Oh, perfect. Uh, good, since, good. Since Walter Lee left. Uh, so um, keep a good job. You're doing a good job, actually. Thank you, Jay. That means a lot. Okay. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Uh, my question is uh, we did suffer with uh, some hard freeze last weekend on my peach tree, mm-hmm. my uh, fruit, peach tree, fruit tree. It's full flesh bloomed right now. And uh, my second part of question is, what kind of spray I can use to prevent my peach uh, peaches come good? Uh, you know, it doesn't have any, any worms or bug inside because I haven't sprayed anything this year yet. Okay, yes. And as you well know, Jay, and I think anybody with fruit trees can attest to, uh, a spray regimen is so important. And the sooner you get to it, the better. Peaches are one of the more difficult fruit crops for homeowners to grow, which is very ironic given that we're the peach state. Uh, But so many diseases, insects, all of that kind of thing. You got brown rot, you got plum curculio, which bores into the peach, and then you see it oozing, you know, sap from him burying his nose in there. Um, So a lot of different sprays that you can choose from. There's just regular sprays. There's spray oils. There's even copper soap. And that's effective against uh, some of the blights and cedar cedar apple rust and things like that. Um, At Pike Nursery, one of my favorite lines is by Bonide. Um, They put out all kinds of fruit sprays, whether it's a fungicide, a pesticide. If you take nothing else away from this, though, Jay, it is important to not really spray as they're flowering out because that's when the pollinators are visiting the flowers. That's when the transfer of pollen is happening. So um, when we come back, I'm actually going to tell you guys how to find the best information for a spray regimen in addition to just reading the labels on the bottles of sprays that you get. So stay tuned for that from the University of Georgia Extension Service. We'll be back. It's Green and Growing on WSB.
It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. How are you starting off your Saturday morning? Maybe you're driving into work. Good morning. Maybe you're headed home. Have a great evening. I hope you have a good snooze when you get home. And Jay was driving around downtown Atlanta. God bless him. That can be a tricky proposition. But at 637 in the morning, I, I don't know, maybe traffic's not too bad. We'll we'll keep you posted throughout the morning. But uh, so good, getting back to Jay's question, which was great about spraying peach trees. Um, if you're new to peach trees, there's so many things that you need to think about in the first couple of years, right? Once you've planted it, uh, really training it, doing the proper pruning in the beginning to get that shape right so that it's shaped so that it allows the maximum amount of sunlight in. Um, it's not overcrowded. Branches aren't crossing. And also that it's able to get that airflow and that good circulation, not planting peach trees or any fruit trees too close together um, so that they're properly spaced. Again, that's important for airflow and preventing all kinds of uh, insects and diseases and things too. The healthier the tree, it's going to be able to combat those things. Um, but I just kept mentioning to Jay about a spray regimen and how important that is. And so once you've really started with peach trees or something like that, you kind of have to think in cycles because there's fungicides to prevent uh, brown rot and other things in peaches and other trees or other fruits. Uh, brown rot is going to be a, a fungus, a disease that affects the fruit and it's visible once the fruit has, you know, come come out into the tree. Um, pesticides are important. Don't spray if not needed, but generally you're probably going to have some problems with pests. So having those on hand. Um, insecticidal soaps are not a bad idea. Spray oils, that kind of thing. So let's start off while the tree is blooming. That's the time to do a fungicide like Captain Jack's or a Bonide product, something like that. Ortho has a product as well. So when it's blooming, you'll focus more on a fungicide to really keep keep things at bay. Um, what you don't want to do, as I mentioned, is use a pesticide because the bees need to visit those flowers. You don't want a pesticide on there. Um, a home orchard spray product usually combines an insecticide with a fungicide. So once we're past bloom time, thinking about that, a home orchard spray, follow the label directions as to how often you need to do that. Um, and it's important to fertilize as well. Did you know coming up in April next month, is a good time to go ahead and fertilize with 10, 10, 10, uh, one cup of maybe 10, 10, 10 per foot of tree height. Um, and then you'll do it again in June. You don't want to over fertilize, but April, June, good times to mark on the calendar to fertilize those fruit trees. And it's so important that they get the proper irrigation um, and the stress and the heat of the summertime. So when the fruit's enlarging and turning ripe, consistent moisture is important, just like with our tomato plants too. So many of you face so many different issues with tomatoes and a lot of different issues that we have with tomato plants could be kept at bay or prevented altogether with consistent moisture and, and fruit trees are really no different. So you have to water regularly in June, July, and August as the tree starts to fill out. Um, over time, that's really going to be beneficial that it's not feeling any stress or anything like that. Tomato plants, like I said, the same. You really have to take into account how often it's raining versus how often you're watering. And tomatoes, I know this is an aside, a little off from talking about fruit trees, but um, mulch is important at the bottom of tomato plants because obviously they're a lot shorter than trees. Uh, but you don't want any splashback. You don't want, when you're watering at the base of the tomato plant, you don't want dirt and all the things that could be in the soil splashing back up on the leaves or up on the fruit itself. So mulch is important for something like that. But for the trees, mulch them as well. So like I said, proper and 
properly timed fertilization, keeping them watered, and really having a home orchard spray on hand is going to help you really be successful with the peaches. 404-872-0750. Every time I say that number today, it doesn't sound right, but it is. 404-872 is just a jumbled up numbers in my head. You know you've been here a long time and you don't even have to read that number off. It just kind of comes out and then it doesn't sound right. Um, And coming up at 7 o'clock too, maybe 7 o'clock till the end of the show, we'll see. Uh, Raphael and Jeff from Premier Tree Solutions. So you hear me do commercials for ChopBytree.com. Well, those guys will be in studio with me. So I really want you to ask them the questions about your trees, whether it's tree health, maybe a lightning strike, something's going on with the bark, um, pruning and trimming, or even proper placement and proper planting. Any questions associated with those things? Maybe you're seeing mushrooms on the tree. I don't know. You could have a, a variety of issues with your tree, but you'll call with those questions, and Raphael and Jeff will be able to help us answer them. So that is good news for all of you. Okay, out to the phones we go again. Harry calling from Lilburn. Hey there, Harry. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I have about eight feet of my boxwood. I have a lot of boxwood, but it seems like it got freezer burned when we had that last freeze. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if I should wait and trim that off. And so it won't spring back new growth and another freeze come along. Right. That's actually a good point. Um, yeah, because whenever you make a pruning cut, it's going to tell the plant to put on new growth from that spot where you cut. Uh, so that's probably wise, Harry. If you, if you can deal with the way it looks, I would kind of wait it out a little bit. Um, and, and it may be, too, to where in the next couple of months when it is putting on new growth, it's just going to you know, fill in to where all of that's just fine. But yeah, once we get past the the point of a a risk of another freeze, um, that's probably a safe bet to do. Any part of a plant, like I said, that's brown is not doing the rest of the plant any good. So over time, definitely want to prune out the dead spots. Another question was, I have a small leaf uh, holly that is overgrowing my sidewalk. And the other one I turned back in the middle of May came out just fine. Mm -hmm. I was, should I wait? Before I trim it back. So I'll go from three and a half feet to about a foot and a half. And it's a small leaf holly? Yes. I would say you could go ahead and do a little bit now. Um, generally, we don't want to do any major, major pruning this time of year. Um, but just enough. Like I have a knockout rose that grows over the, the walk, too. And I'm constantly going at that. So I think that should be fine for you to kind of get it, uh, get it, you know, shaped up. But once we hit, uh, like, the summer months, I wouldn't do much pruning at all. So do it before it gets hot, like first part of April. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. That should be fine. Thank you so much. All right. Glad you called. Thank you, Harry. Have a good weekend. 404-872-0750. All right. Up next, if he's ready, go ahead and talk to Daniel in Douglasville. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. Good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. Yes, ma'am. Um, I had a question about fruit cocktail trees. Mm-hmm. Um I was wondering if they're actually viable or if they're just, you know, kind of a gimmick that'll fall apart. And if they are, how far apart should I have them spaced? They actually are. Um, they they totally do well here. And it just all depends on, you know, their output depends on, you know, the, the maintenance and how well you keep them. Um, but generally, just a good rule of thumb with a fruit tree is probably, depending on what you're looking at, at least 10 feet apart, if not more. Okay, and how many would I need to have for them to be able to pollinate across? You know, it depends because there are the fruit cocktails that have, you know, apples and pears, and there are the ones that um, have citrus and things like that. Which one are you looking at? Apples and pears. Okay, cool. 
Um, so in that case, you probably, you know, the, the pollinators are going to be visiting that uh, nearby Bradford pears, other things that they're all going to be able to cross-pollinate or whatever. So I think, you know, if you have minimum of two, you're fine. Uh, you increase the odds of everything getting pollinated the more you have, but a minimum of two is going to be sufficient. So at 10 feet, I'll probably be able to do about six. Oh, okay. gosh, that's cool. Yeah, that's going to be great. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for calling, Daniel. That's going to be a fun little project. Fruit cocktail trees are really something. If those of you uh, have never heard us talk about that, it's just really neat that they can graft the different trees together and you can have a citrus one. You can have, as Daniel said, apples and pears and things like that. Um, it, It consists of a rootstock just with multiple varieties of fruit grafted onto it. And there really is something to be said for that to be able to be popular and to be able to work. So, yeah, always read the labels as far as plant spacing. Um, But generally, I would even go a little bit further apart than what the label recommends, just because you just never know, right? You just never know. 404-872-0750. And also a very timely conversation with Pike Nursery coming up at 830. We talk to Pike Nursery every Saturday at that time. We will be talking about everything fruit trees. So if you have to bounce at some point during the show this morning, at least try to catch it at 830 as uh, Rebecca joins me to talk about fruit trees. And I'll ask her a few questions, you know, what varieties they have in the store and and all those kinds of things, what uh, spray products they recommend. You know, if you're going to walk out of there with a with a peach tree or any other kind of fruit tree, um, I would hope they would send you on your way with a couple of, um, you know, chemical sprays that could actually be beneficial to help you later on down the road. But that'll take some time. That'll take some time for these new fruit trees to get established, and, and they'll give you tips on pruning them and all of that kind of thing as well. 404-872-0750. So when we come back, we'll check in with Jim calling from Gainesville, growing hops in the area. Um, Alex from Bremen, what time of year to move plants to a new house, transplanting different things? That is still a possibility now. And we'll hear from you as well. Take a break, check traffic and weather, and we'll be back. I'm really glad you're listening to Green and Growing. Stay tuned to WSB. All right, hovering around 60 degrees here in Midtown Atlanta. Your forecast from Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz today. Partly cloudy, wind coming from the west, 10 to 20 miles an hour. But what you really want to know, 63 degrees, so it'll be comfortable. And then sunny skies tomorrow, no chance of rain. Highs reaching the mid-60s. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, so it just rained, and maybe the next chance of rain comes midweek. So throw some fertilizer on your tall fescue. You want to fertilize it when it's in rapid growth, which is any time from the fall to now. So just something to remember, applying fertilizer three times for fescue, September, early November, and now. And then over the summer, you don't really have a need to fertilize it. It's not growing. It's just kind of doing what it can to maintain. I use any brand of turf fertilizer at the rate recommended on the bag. Number two, using yard waste in your landscape. This came from a post from the city of Roswell. Some great suggestions, maybe using limbs and branches as bed borders, chipping tree and shrub prunings into mulch, or placing brush piles so they can become wildlife habitat, and also just using things as part of your compost pile. And number three, divide and transplant perennials. When they're just poking through the soil, that's a good time to, A, you remember where they are, but to dig up and divide the clumps. So speaking of transplanting things, up next we'll talk to Alex and Bremen looking to move some plants around. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. How are you doing? Good. 
we're building a house about three miles uh, from the current house we uh, live in, and we're keeping that house as well and going to rent it out, so we're not in a hurry to move anything. But I was wondering what, uh, for the plant's sake, what would be the best time of the year to transplant uh, a few plants from our property to the new property? I would say any time but in the dead of summer. Um, that's just going to be so stressful for the plant and it's just more responsibility on you to remember to water, you know, frequently as it adjusts to its new spot. Um, but like right now, while things are still mild, even up to maybe early May would be ideal. And then if you, if you miss those windows, do what you have to do in the summertime. I'm not saying you can't, I just wouldn't. Um, but then if you can go back in, in fall when things start to cool off a little bit, um, that's going to be another really ideal time. Okay, so spring or fall, it would, and either time better than one or the other, because no. we're not in a not really rush? Not really at all. Like when we talk about and preach establishing new trees and new shrubs, fall is always the ideal time because they're able to settle in and get acclimated before the you know, cold winter weather, but something that's established spring, fall makes no difference. Um, And when you're going to dig things out, if it is trees and shrubs, that kind of thing, just remember to dig wider than deep so that you get all of the root ball, especially like on something like an azalea. You really want to dig out pretty wide to get as much of the root as you can. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And just a, a hint too, I know you'll probably be driving back and forth, Alex, but always really helps the plant and saves you some time to dig the new holes first. So go to the new house, kind of scout out where you're going to plant things, and then have those holes already dug and ready, again, wider than deep. That way you're able to lay out those roots and they have plenty of space to move. Um, And then go back to the old house, dig them up, yank them up, and then they have a, a, a spot to go to right away. If you can't get things planted in the ground, Uh, Right as you've dug them up or maybe a neighbor gives you something pretty key to do it within a couple of days I would say Uh, you can keep the roots wrapped in something perhaps maybe like a sheet or something just to kind of keep in the shed or whatever protected But um, generally you want to take care of that pretty quickly All right, so as promised Jim in Gainesville can I grow hops in Georgia? So Jim, what's uh, what's the attraction you brewing some beer? Uh, Yeah, once in a while. Okay, good. but yeah, I ordered some hop rhizomes and i've never planted them and i know the basic way to plant them they want it in the mound somewhat of a mound mm-hmm. and the sprouts that are on it facing up which makes sense but i just wondered i mean i i'm thinking maybe i might be on the, the line of yes i can grow them no i can't grow them and if, if you had any experience with it if you had any tips for it You know, I I personally don't have any experience and it kind of started to fade in recent years just because of all kinds of problems, Uh, mildew, mites, just different epidemics and cycles of things. But Walter Reeves has heard from people uh, as far north as Alpharetta that have had success. There's people out toward Athens who have had success with them. So it's probably kind of hit or miss. Uh, You are a little further north being in Gainesville. Um, And also, just what little I know about them, most people that do have success trellis them as well. So just plan on having the room to have them trellis and all of that kind of thing. If you want to know a little bit more, though, go to WalterReeves.com. And Reeves is R-E-E-V-E-S, WalterReeves.com. Type in hops, Jim, and you'll see a number of articles that he has posted about them, as well as, like I said, regionally where people have had success. Good luck. I'm glad you're trying something new. When we return, the gentleman from ChopMyTree.com with your tree questions. They'll be answered next.
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.